When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandslots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hi there, Duke fans. Welcome to episode 554 of the Duke Basketball Roundup. I'm Jason Evans, here for your listening pleasure. It is Tuesday afternoon, a very fine Tuesday after the Blue Devils defeated uh, Dartmouth. That's who we played. I, I almost, guys, I almost blanked there for a second. That was, <laughs> yes, Big green. We, played, we played Dartmouth last night. Before we get to the recap of that game, I want to introduce my partners in crime on today's episode. First of all, as he always is, by my side, Donald Wine, how are you doing, Mr. Wine? Jason, real quick, yesterday was a lot of fun. There was a lot of basketball on. Uh, yes. First off, shout out to Duke women. They they kicked things off at 11 a.m. Uh, by beating Richmond by 30 points. But throughout the day, there was just a ton of college basketball, both men and women, on to be had. Um, my TV can do the four-box thing on ESPN+. Plus. And it was pretty much chock full of, of basketball for the entire day. And then, like, Monday Night Football also existed. But... Yesterday was a fun day if you're a college basketball fan. Yeah, by the way, I had a double feature of movies. I had two different awards contending movies that I had to see in theaters yesterday. And then I rushed home to see the Duke games. I didn't see quite as much as you did of all the other sports kind of stuff. It was a very busy day for the film critic, Jason Evans, and the basketball fan, Jason Evans. Uh, the the husband, Jason Evans, my wife was not thrilled. And I was like, yeah, I've got a movie at 4, and then I went 6.30. I'll be home and I have a Duke game at 9. She was like, um... Any time for me? <laughs> and unfortunately, the answer was no. Luckily, I'm still married. 35 plus years or so coming up on Jason, it. Jason, the answer is always yes. And you try to figure out what that yes means later. <laughs> exactly. I'm not even married. I know that answer. Exactly. All right. Well, and we have a special guest with us this time. We have Donald and I have bantered on long enough. Joining us is Scott. We, by the way, we mentioned that we were going to bring on guests every now and then, folks, to help us recap the games because Sam is no longer with us. Rest in peace, Sam. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, he's uh, joining still alive. us. Is, yeah, he's very much alive. <laughs> God, I hope so. Yeah. Joining us is Scott Rich, folks. You will you will know Scott because he has written extensively for the Duke Basketball Report uh, on the main page. He also posts quite frequently on the forums. For those of you who head out to the forums, he is Scott Dude on the forums. And additionally, I just learned this moments ago, Scott was in 2012 the first ever online sports editor for the chronicle scott rich welcome to the dbr thank podcast. you guys for having me i'm excited to be here excited to pick up where i left off 
about 15 years ago when we were all just learning what the heck YouTube was over in the Chronicle offices. <laughs> exactly. And guys, with that, let's get to the game. As I mentioned, this was a contest where the Blue Devils defeated Dartmouth. The final score was 92 to 54. Uh, I don't know how you could say 38 point game wasn't quite that competitive, but it was, I mean, they, they kind of stayed with us for about seven to 10 minutes or so. And then turned into a blowout very, very quickly. We will begin as we always do with the headlines. And and guys, I'm going to host privilege. I'm going to go ahead and do the best headlines that we got from, from the uh, listener audience. Folks, as you all know, you can write to us at dbrpodcast at gmail.com. Send us your headlines, send us your comments on the game, and we will pick out the best of the best and read them to everybody. You get to be a star for a couple seconds. I'll start with Chris Immershine. He gave us Flying Filipowski gets green light on Dunk of Dartmouth. The green use there, a uh, uh, a takeoff on the uh, the Dartmouth name, the the big green. I like that one. I thought that was a pretty good Fantastic one. Fantastic alliterations throughout. Yes. Yeah. We got a lot. But oh, you, you want you think that's alliteration, Scott? Wait to hear this one. So Nick Soprano gave Duke's depth dooms Dartmouth. <laughs> There's the alliteration for you, baby. Uh, Jared Strauss. Blue Devils leave Dartmouth feeling a little green. Um, again, uh, a take on the green nickname of Dartmouth. And he noted, by the way, that Spencer Hubbard tried in one game to break the stats game, our contest to see how many points the walk-ons would score. Spencer Hubbard almost I'm feeling good, I'm feeling good about my pick of four points. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Spencer Hubbard almost dusting that on game number one. And then the last one that I really wanted to uh, to shadow Michael Slaughter had longtime debate officially settled. Blue is better than green. I, I I enjoyed that one, Michael. And by the way, I want to mention something Michael said, which I thought was hysterical. As long as we're talking about Spencer Hubbard, he said, by the way, if Spencer Hubbard was 6'2", he would be an All-American. Spencer Hubbard had the best, like, two minutes of a walk-on, like, in Duke history. Scored a bucket, drew a charge, had a nice assist. Man, for 5'6", that dude was <laughs> was using every inch of his skills. Guys, did either of you have a headline you wanted to, to mention from this game? Yeah, I had a couple. Um, Jamie Keffer, and I apologize if I'm pronouncing the last name incorrectly, K-E-F-E-E-R. So Caleb Foster's a decisive win over the Big Green. I like that one. And Michael Slaughter also had a second one. Jason, I know you mentioned the first one that he had, but the second one, Deep Duke dominates Dartmouth and Durham. If you ain't got alliteration coming out, the pores on that one. I love that one. That was great. Scott, did you have a headline or should we jump right into the good and the bad? Well, so you guys didn't give me access to this amazing, you know, Gmail repository of all these submissions. But if I had to <laughs> if I had to come up with one, keeping with the alliteration theme, I'd go Mitchell missed in masterful Duke win. Oh, I like that. Playing off that, the that, fact that that's we were just what you get off the cuff with me, baby. <laughs> For next time, you'll know. Uh, and yeah, no, uh, sorry, you, you you are not yet at the level where we're going to give you access to the TBR <laughs> <laughs> email account. Believe me, uh, you it's a want... beast. I don't know if you want it yeah, you know, right off. I don't, I don't think don't anyone want wants it. We barely want it at times. We're just, I mean, thankfully, a lot of people email us. And sometimes like I, I wake up and I'm like, there's 47 emails. I need to read through all of these today. That yeah. just adds to your morning coffee. <laughs> yeah, the, the curse of being a popular podcast is that the email inbox sometimes gets a little overwhelming, especially in the wake of a, literally the second a game ends, like my, my inbox starts going 10, 15, 20, 25. I'm like, Oh my God. All right. So guys, let's get to the game itself. And and as always, we'll start with what's good. Uh, and uh, again, host privilege. I'm going to take the first thing because I think it's not as obvious. I want to talk about the defense because I noticed again and again that this Duke team forced Dartmouth deep into the shot clock and even occasionally forced shot clock violations but Dartmouth was taking shots they didn't like because Duke was hounding them so well and it was mostly on the perimeter it was our guards that three guard even sometimes four guard lineup was just making life very very difficult for Dartmouth to get into any kind of offense where they felt at all comfortable there was relentless pressure from the five guards who played prominent minutes um, and I, I thought it was stunning that our D could be this good without Mark Mitchell playing at all he's obviously a defensive specialist it's worth noting that Dartmouth hit just 34% of their field goals, hit just 22% of their threes. Now, it's not like Dartmouth is a great three-point shooting team, but hitting four of 18 on three-pointers, not good at all. Duke had six block shots in this game. 
Um, 13 forced turnovers could have been a little bit better, but still pretty good. But I thought to me, as good as the offense was, and we're going to talk about it extensively, I wanted to start with the defense. You know, when you talk about Dartmouth, they're a smart team, Jason. They're not going to be turning the ball over a lot. So 13 turnovers feels like 20 when you're talking about an Ivy League team. They're not they're not the type that's going to be throwing long passes and stuff like that. They're they were working within the construct of their of their offense. And they had a couple of times where they broke us with the back backdoor cut is something that you see a lot of Ivy League teams do. But the fact that we were able to hold them to 33 percent shooting from the floor overall if teams are shooting under 40%, they're usually losing the ball game. We had them, they, they, bear, they exactly made a third of their baskets. And if you're doing that, there's no chance unless you're shooting 97 free throws that you're winning a basketball game. So hats off to the defense for being able to, again, force them into making bad decisions by shooting the basketball, but also again, taking the ball from them when they could, because again, 13, 13 takeaways is a lot of takeaways. And of course we made points off of those takeaways. I So two things I noticed that were going a little bit under the radar. One, no one told Jalen Blakes what we were all talking about, which was assuming that we were just putting him at the bottom of the bench. That was what everyone was talking about. No one thought Jalen Blakes was going to be having a major role for this team. Someone forgot to tell him that because he showed out really on both sides of the ball. But something that went under the radar a little bit because of his foul troubles, I was really impressed with Jared McCain's defense. I think, again, the the fouls that I saw were more the type of fouls that you learn how to avoid once you're an ACC player. But when he was out there, he was playing smart defense. He knew when to put his hands in the passing lanes. He was aggressive and he was staying up against his man. For someone who did not have the reputation as a stellar defender, Caleb Foster comes in, I think, with more of that reputation, giving his size and athleticism. McCain showed that he's going to, the gap between him and Caleb on that defensive end is not nearly as large as I think we might have thought. Also, work ethic. He was working hard on both offense and defense. And Jason and Scott, after the game, an hour after the game, Connor O'Neill posted a video of him taking shots an hour after the game in Cameron. Like the guy just doesn't want to stop working, which I think is great. I want to go back to Jalen Blakes because I, you didn't gloss over the fact that he had a great game, but I want to actually make note of how great a game he actually had. 10 points, three steals. He led the team in blocks with two. He had two rebounds in 19 and a half minutes of playing time. And as you mentioned, Scott, he did a lot on the defensive end as well. Being, I mean, he's one of our better defenders. He was last year when he was in the game. He obviously plays like he knows. He almost plays like he knows, hey, I'm only going to be here for a couple of minutes, so I might as well gas the other team out while I'm out here. But he was out there for almost 20 minutes, and I know with the rotation uh, with Mark Mitchell not being in the game, that that has obviously been affected. But I love the fact that when he comes into the game, that he is efficient on offense. He does a lot. He fills the stats. And also on defense, he can be a guy that can give the opponents fits while we, you know, if we need to rest Caleb Foster, we need to rest Jeremy Kane or, or one of the, you know, the returning starters. He has that ability to come out and say, hey, you guys may underestimate me. Under, underestimate me. I'm Jalen Blakes, and and the middle name is something we can't really say on TV, but I'm Jalen Blakes, and when I'm on the floor, you're going to understand Jalen Blakes came to play. So I appreciate the fact that he came out and did just that last night. Yeah, Don, I think the middle name has the initials MF. Am I, I think I'm correct about that, right? You, you skip, you you damn skippy. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, I'm learning where the line is on, on the podcast real quick. This is great. <laughs> uh, so, uh, you know, the thing that I noted about Jalen Blakes because we absolutely should talk about him is that his defense is going to be a weapon for this team in some games. I'm still not certain, not convinced that he's going to play in every game this season. Look, we saw this a year ago where he played more early than he did late. And I still think that could happen, but, but yeah, his, his D is a problem for any team that Duke is playing. And I'm just amazed. Michael Slaughter, we got an email from Michael Slaughter where he mentioned something that I noted as well, which was like, how is Jalen Blakes the fifth best guard on this team? How good is the guard rotation that Jalen Blakes is the fifth best guard on this team? I mean, oh my goodness. And, and then the other thing about Jalen Blakes that I wanted to mention, he had a really interesting comment. I'm not sure if either of you guys got a chance to listen to it, but but they did an episode of the Brotherhood podcast right after the game, literally in the From the cold line. tub. Yeah, exactly. Uh, that, was, that was Ryan Young and interviewing Jalen Blakes. 
And I thought Blake's had a, I'll mention there's a comment that, that Ryan Young made that I'm going to, I'm going to get to a little later on, I think, but Jalen Blake's had a comment at one point where he talked about coming off the bench and the advice he gives to freshmen and, and other guys who are not immediate starters because Jalen Blake's has his entire career. That's been his role to come off the bench. And he said, it's not about looking for your own individual stats. If you come in thinking, I've got to score. I've got to put stuff up in the, you know, be a stat stuffer. He goes, that's not going to work. It's about helping the team because if you have a good plus minus, if the team goes on a run, when you come in, he said, that's the way you earn minutes here at Duke. It's not about immediately coming in and trying to take shots and put up scoring numbers. And even though Jalen Blake's had 10 points, the stuff we're all going to remember is the steals. It's the energy. It's that side of Jalen Blake's make no mistake. Jalen Blakes is not going to be a leading scorer for Duke this in all likelihood this season. But what he's going to do is he's going to provide he was, energy. He was last year. He was yeah, last he year. Had a, he had a game last game. year. Right. <laughs> and but, can we but, just acknowledge the, the – a lot of the credit has to go to John Shire for keeping Jalen Blakes in a Duke uniform. In most other programs in the country, a guy like Jalen Blakes, who is looking at two five-star guards coming in, who is looking at being the fifth guard off the bench, would be gone. You know, 95% programs. John Shire got him to come back, and we're seeing the fruits of that in game one. And who knows what the future holds? Who knows if he's going to be playing every game? But there is huge value in having a guy like Jalen Blakes who knows, I'm going to go in for five minutes and just cause chaos. And it's going to be my five minutes, and that's all I have. And I am just going to drive the other team nuts. And, and that's what he does, and that is a luxury, and that's a tool in the toolbox that we might have lost if it weren't for John Shire's masterful roster construction and ability to retain his guys. Jalen Blake subscribes to the mantra that I hold in life. Stay ready so you ain't got to get ready, and you'll always be ready. That man's on the bench, and his number's called. I don't have to worry about Jalen Blake's effort. That's the point, and I think that's what, you know, Jason, what you were alluding to, what he's trying to, you know, kind of, inspire in these young kids who do come off the bench like hey when your number's called stay ready because when your number's called you don't get ready be ready you go in the game you make an impact we've had a lot of guys over the last few years uh or at least in recent years that were that fifth guy off the bench and, or that fifth guard off the bench or that fifth forward off the bench and they ended up leaving and it was because they wanted to get more playing time elsewhere so the fact that Jalen Blakes has decided to you know again stick it out and say hey I'm not even a captain I'm not going to play, you know, one day I'll play 19 minutes, one day I'll play zero. I'm not going to be a captain, but I still can make an impact on this team. And I still want to be a part of a winning situation here. That that's hats off to them because not everyone does that. And the fact that he's put that on his shoulder to say, Hey, I can still make an impact here. It may not be every night, but when I'm on the floor, you're going to know Jalen Blake was on the floor. That's, that's the type of energy that, that rubs off on players. And that's what makes teams go from good to elite. Hey guys, for the most part, we've been talking about guards exclusively, and I want to get us to the big men in just a moment. But before we get off of the smaller dudes, I wanted to shout out Tyrese Proctor. Eight assists, only one turnover. I'll take an eight to one assist to turnover ratio. I can live with that. I thought that the biggest, and by the way, several no look and look away passes that were just highlight real stuff from Tyrese. But the thing I noticed was the way he and the rest of the team played with pace a way that I frankly haven't seen Duke do in several years. You could tell they were looking to push the ball as much as possible. I thought, you know, look, the fact that Duke got to 90 plus points in this game in a game where frankly they started out kind of slow and cold and then turned it on, you know, for the final three quarters of the game or so, but they were playing with a lot more pace than you usually see a Duke team. John Shires talked about in the preseason, the fact that he wants this team to play faster. And I thought we really saw that. And Tyrese Proctor, I saw Proctor, getting ahead of the play again and again and again so that when guys were you know ready to push the ball off the floor, he was there to take the lead on that and get Duke into a good position. And then the other guard thing I wanted to mention very quickly was we haven't mentioned really Caleb Foster. We haven't mentioned Jalen Roach at all. Those two guys in the second half were getting downhill. They were going to the bucket, you know, almost at will. Both of them I thought were incredibly strong at taking shots around the hoop. Seems like kind of similar games from both of them. And man, if you're a, a defense, like if you if you've been dealing with Jeremy Roach coming at coming at the rim, 
you know, for a while. And then suddenly he goes out and, and, uh, you know, and, and in comes Caleb Foster and he's doing the exact same thing, except he's a little bit bigger and a little bit stronger. You're like, geez, what is it going to Duke's guards are a problem when they get downhill. Very quietly, Caleb Foster played the second most minutes on the Duke team last night, second to Jeremy Roach. So obviously a little bit of that was Jared McCain's foul trouble, but he's going to have a role on this team. And the thing that I love watching him is that he just, he looks like an NBA point guard. Now he looks like he has the body. He has the ability to finish at the rim, which honestly is something that he brings to the team that McCain probably doesn't at this stage. And that Roach doesn't quite as well because of his size. He's Roach is crafty and creative at the rim. But when Caleb Foster gets to the rim with his size and with his length, unless there's a big helping, he's making that contested layup 95% of the time. There are going to be matchups this year where the opposition just doesn't have a guard that can put up with his physicality and his size. And if that's coming off the bench as our sixth man, you know, no other team is going to have that off the bench to guard that, let alone in their starting lineup. Yeah, I'm glad that you mentioned the the difference in their two body sizes, because I noticed that Roach, when he gets in there, sort of he's taking like the the sort of uh, you know crazy angle kind of uh, shots around the rim because he he can't use his body to to get up there. Caleb Foster's very different. Caleb Foster's like, dude, I'm going up, and you ain't gonna be able to stay with me. It's kind of fun to watch. All right, let's move on to the big men for a moment. And hello. Kyle Filipowski. Have we not mentioned Kyle Filipowski until now? Twenty-five. He had point the game. quietest twenty. He had the quietest twenty-five point seven board performance you'll ever see. Uh, yeah, <laughs> <That's> he, what... <laughs> he absolutely took over late in the first half, and especially in the second half. He had fifteen points in eight minutes in the second half. That's a pretty good scoring pace. Fifteen points in eight minutes, not bad. Scored in so many different ways. Scored in the post. Scored off 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 the dribble off his drives. Buried a three pointer. Look, I would have liked to have seen us do a little better on offensive rebounds and and flip, you know, didn't have any of those. Um, but uh, he, he was just dangerous again and again and again in the half court. And by the way, he and Ryan Young, man, do they have some beautiful chemistry together? Scott, give me what you got on uh, Kyle. So I thought it was very interesting that the first five minutes or so of the game, it looked like Duke was trying to replicate what the offense would look like Mark Mitch- with Mark Mitchell without him out there. It was looking like five out, even with Ryan Young. Ryan Young was setting screens up top and rolling into the post as opposed to settling there. Ryan Young was even sort of being in that Marshall Plumlee-esque dunker spot under the rim, trying to keep that lane open. And it, it worked, but you could tell that there was something that was off. After Christian Reeves came in for his brief bit, Ryan Young came back in. Then it looked more like the offense from last year. It looked like the two big offense where the whole goal was get Kyle Filipowski on a smaller four man and let him get to work. So I'm so glad you mentioned, I'm so glad you mentioned that comparison to last year, because this brings up something that Ryan Young said on the brotherhood podcast that I really wanted to bring up. I, I thought this was an incredible point. He said the difference between last year and this year, is that last year the team spent the entire month of November, December trying to figure out who they were. Like they were going, okay, who are going to be the big scorers? How are we going to play defense? What works? What doesn't? What combinations? He said this year, it's so different. It just feels completely different for him because they have so many guys returning from last year's team. They have four starters back. They've got several important bench pieces back. They already know the answers to those questions. And he made it sound like, you know, this early season isn't about discovering what the team can do. It's about fine tuning what they already know they can do. I, I, I'm i going to admit something. I had not even thought about that as a change for Duke this year. But if you think about the way Duke has had, you know, run after run after run of stud freshmen for the past decade or so, this season is really different in that regard. And I thought that was fascinating. I think, the one thing that I'll say about the bigs, both Flip and and Ryan Young combined, if you think about going back to the, the secret tape, Jason, that you and I were able to view, they ran those same plays last night. And every single time it was very successful, especially when you talk about Ryan Young coming all the way up to the top of the key to set screens for people and then turn around and realizing, oh, Flip's down by himself. Let me give him the ball. And 
there was times where, you know, in the secret scrimmage where Kyle Filipowski would, you know, take the ball, go to the rack, get fouled, and then make his free throws. We didn't take a lot of free throws last night because, and he didn't get a lot of offensive rebounds because he was making most of his shots. Went 10 for 12 from the floor. So it, it not a lot of opportunities for Kyle Filipowski to go follow his basket, which is what he did a lot last year, right? Whenever he wasn't really uh, efficient from the floor, he was missing a couple shots. We didn't matter because he would go get the ball, get the offensive rebound and go strong to the hole again. So I think when it comes to it, when, that's part of the reason why I'm curious though in the first part of the season to see how much time Cal Filipowski plays at the five versus the four, because I feel like at the four, if Ryan young or someone else who's capable, that's in the game, Cal Filipowski gets a lot of those responsibilities at the four. And he loves that because anybody who's matching up with him at the four is not going, it's not going well for the other person. And I think that's where Cal Filipowski is getting a lot of his points. And I think it's going to be interesting to see once we do incorporate Mark Mitchell back, how that ends up working because him at the five versus the four, you see a comfort level. That's, you know, I think very different wavelengths at this point. And I think the idea is to kind of get it where it feels the same if he's at the five or the four. Well, and toward that end, we had early minutes last night from Christian Reeves, who looks very, very much like he is in the rotation. I will freely admit, I think if you'd asked any of us in the stats game, uh, you know, our numbers of Christian Reeves appearances in ACC in ACC games were not very high. And uh, look, I don't know how much of it was a function of Mark Mitchell not playing and and maybe Duke's big man rotation being slightly changed. And I don't know how much of it is a function of, of Sean Stewart maybe not being ready today, but looking like he's a guy who's going to be very, very ready sometime in the future with explosive athleticism. But at the moment, right now, Christian Reeves looks like he is very much in the rotation we're going to play Arizona on Friday. They are a big team. I have absolute confidence that Christian Reeves is going to see early minutes in that game as well. Guys, before we wrap up the good, Scott, give me one last good thing before we move on to something else. We forget so easily that this is only John Shire's second year in charge of this program. And he's shown that he can recruit, but it's still somewhat of a question mark moving forward how he manages games. I saw at least three out of timeout situations last night where John Shire drew up a play, it worked to perfection, we got an easy bucket out of one of those media timeouts. He did that a lot last year. By the way, he did that a lot last year, too. Yeah, and so I I think that that goes to, you know, there's a narrative, justifiably so, he's still a young coach, but there are data points that are accumulating showing that he knows how to manage games. He knows how to draw up plays. He knows how to win in games, and there's still going to be bumps in the road because he's not Coach K. But that's something that we can't overlook, especially as young as the coach he is. And the best part about that, if you're thinking about you're, if you're thinking about just plays coming out of timeouts, whether they be TV timeouts or someone else calls a timeout on the floor, the fact that he's more successful than not in those plays, those are those are you know, again, you have like four media timeouts per half, maybe a couple of t- TV or other TV timeouts along the way. So you're talking about maybe ten or eleven plays. But if you're successful more times than not on those plays, that can be a difference between winning a close game and losing a close game. No question about it. All right, guys, we've done the good. We have to spend at least a couple of minutes. I don't know. The game you win by 40 or so points where you scored 90. There's not a lot of bad, but we got to spend a little bit of time in the bad. Donald, I'll let you get started first. What 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 did you see in this game that you uh, need to, to work on? Well, I think we're going to talk about Jaden shoot in a minute, but let me first yeah. talk about. Well, you know, wait, wait, let's, offensive... let's hold on. Let's let's start with Jaden shoot. Go ahead and get, get that conversation beginning because there are a lot of people out there wondering about this. Yeah, so after the game in the postgame press conference, John Shire had, I guess it was a question was asked about why Jane Shute did not see the floor and he, he got zero minutes last night. And I'm going to read the quote from John Shire and then we'll talk a little bit about what that means. He said, quote, Jaden has a long journey ahead of him. I love Jaden and I'm going to keep that private for now, but he's in great standing with me. Nothing wrong at all. Me and him have had some conversations, so we're going to continue to do the best thing for him, end quote. Now, initially, when you read this, it kind of felt like it was a disciplinary issue, but more has come out over the last, like, several hours that indicate that it might be that Jaden Shute is redshirting, and for reasons that will, I mean, we can speculate on the reasons why he would want to uh, redshirt this year, but it feels like this is something where it's coming from him and not necessarily just the team saying, hey, we're not going to play you at all. So it, again, this is very early, but I think the long and short of it is, I think Jaden Shute might be uh, redshirting at least this year 
uh, in a way to preserve his eligibility, knowing that he is at the end of the pecking order and not going to get a lot of playing time this year. It is worth noting that the red shirt rules do not say that you are not allowed to play in any games to get a red shirt. There's a, there's a limit on the number of games. It has to do with how many games your team plays and stuff like that. But there's little question that Jaden shoot could play four or five games at least and not have to worry at all about uh, falling under, you know, red shirt problems. But, um, but yeah, I, I, I don't know for sure what, what the answer to this is. I haven't been able to find out anything from my sources, so to speak, uh, regarding what's going on with Jaden, but a red shirt would make a lot of sense for him. If you think about it, we were talking about the fact that, you know, we can't believe Jalen Blakes is the fifth guard in Duke's rotation. Jaden shooting all likelihood would be sixth at best. And, uh, you know, I can, I can see why a kid with his talent and skills might say, you know what, let me wait, see what the situation's like next year. It does look like there could be a number of guards leaving Duke, although we're bringing in a lot of, of new wings as well. So, uh, you know, I, I get why Jaden might decide to do that. Scott, you got anything on this? Yeah, so I mean, it's worth noting in Adam Rose, uh, one of his preview pieces over at Devil's Den, he has a quote from Jaden Shoot. So I'll read this. He says, I came here to win a national championship and be a part of winning. I've never left anything in my life. This is my team. This is my home. That sounds like a guy who's knew this was coming and wanted to get ahead of the story. Again, you know, there. this is a type of thing where not being in the program, you can speculate this and you can parse these quotes and you can parse a Twitter and X post, whatever it's called nowadays, you know, nine ways till Sunday. But it certainly seems like from you combine that with what Coach Shire said last night, this, at least on the surface, seems like something that we can rest easy about because there seems to be a plan in place. And it's worth also worth noting that when you think about some of the rumors that came out a few days ago about potential recruits that were coming in next year, being unhappy with the number of guys coming in, especially right after Patrick and Gongba committed, there's a lot of people who kind of said, Hey, Isaiah Evans is thinking about, you know, reclass or, you know, re you know, decommitting and, and figuring out his situation somewhere else. And he had to come out and say, no, I'm not going anywhere. Maybe some of that was kind of airing out, in 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 the wrong ways right in the wrong areas and pointing at the wrong people and it was you know Jaden shoot who might have been oh there's more guys coming in let me figure out my situation and so uh i i know that's going to hurt jason in the stat game um with his <laughs> with free with field uh, three point percentage but uh, honestly i mean i think we we all root for Jaden shoot and we want him to uh remain with the program but we also want him to do what's best for him so if that means redshirting this year in an effort to get ahead of what may come then let's do it. And, and hopefully he can still be able to contribute uh, from, you know, as, as a redshirt, because again, we've had a lot of national championship teams, Jason, the last couple of national championship teams that we've had, or at least a few of them, we've had guys that redshirted that helped get that team ready to be a national championship team. It almost seems like it's part of the, part of the recipe here that we've been forgetting about maybe him saying, Hey, I want to, you know, step back can allow him to become a better player while also helping his team win. And to be fair, all of that drama with the recruits and whatnot started from Trilly Donovan, who is this anonymous, quote unquote, insider on Twitter, who, to his credit, seems to get a bunch of these recruiting predictions right ahead of time. But he's anonymous. It's it's a very weird situation. No one knows who quite who he, who he is. So he posts these very vague hints because he's anonymous and he can. And if he's right, you, you remember it. And if he's wrong, you you forget about it, right? That's one of the benefits of Twitter, where you can take big swings and people remember your home runs. They don't remember your swings and misses. I don't know if he's right. I don't know if he's wrong on this. You know, I could be proven wrong next time I come on the show. But it, I think that, you know, a little bit of that nonsense was caused by just the the weirdness that is recruiting Twitter and this weird place that this guy, Trilly Donovan, has in this space maybe he's connor stallions and he's trying to screw up some basketball just like he's screwing up some football who the heck knows that guy seems to be everywhere i will say this this is nothing compared to soccer twitter we, we could go on all day about anonymous soccer twitter and i won't <laughs> do that on the show but i am very much used to this so I, i'm you know that's not something that kind of you know hit, hit me really square that's something that barely hit my radar Guys, we got off track a little bit. We need to get back to the game. Remember, we we're going to talk about what went bad in this game. 
And Donald, I apologize. I jumped in and I forced you to get off track. Get back on track with the things you saw that Duke needs to work on. Yeah, so I think there was two things. You know, one stat that I always look at is assist uh, to made baskets. And we had, we're just under half, 18 assists on 38 made baskets. That's just less than 50%. I, I feel like if you're a good passing team, that number should be in the 60% range. And so we're not far off there. So I'm not necessarily, again, you're kind of nitpicking there a little bit. I think the one thing that we need to look at over these first few games, especially considering who we got coming to town on Friday rebounding you know we didn't have that many offensive rebounds we only had uh we won the offensive rebound or we won the rebounding battle total 33 to 29 this is something that we talked about in in general a little bit after the unc pembroke game where we didn't win that rebounding battle by much last year we were winning rebounding battles far and wide and a lot of those were know, because we, only, we were getting we only had five offensive rebounds in this game uh, that that is my, my my list of bad things starts with rebounding right and if you recall last year, there were some times where Cal Filipowski would have five or seven offensive rebounds by himself. So the fact that as a team, they weren't really grabbing a lot of rebounds. Now, again, they weren't missing a lot of shots, but you want to be able to, we were rebounding offense rebounding in the 40% range last year. And it was far from that last night. This is something where rebounding is going to become an issue, especially when we talk about the teams we are facing next Arizona, usually very good at rebounding. Michigan big, State always big. good at rebounding. Yeah. <laughs> always that if you can't rebound, you do not go to Michigan State. So they're going to be pounding on the boards. We need to be able to win those battles because again, getting some of those rebounds, getting some of those basketballs are going to be the difference between getting more shots on our end of the floor, getting more points and winning ball games. So I'm going to do a couple of bad things and then Scott, I'm going to get to you. And and I think my last bad thing will segue to you really nicely. I already mentioned the rebounding and the offensive rebounding was terrible, obviously. Um, I thought in the first half, as much as I talked about how great Roach and Foster seemed at getting downhill in the second half, in the first half, they were taking more longer contested jumpers. I, I did not like that. You guys know I I hate – I don't mind an open mid-range shot, and Jeremy Roach buries those. Jared McCain buries those. Those are great. Contested mid-range shots, not a fan of it. The analytics folks will tell you those are not good shots to take. And They weren't quite – hmm? they weren't quite Kyle Singler twos, but they were <laughs> – they were venturing into that. They're venturing into that area. You know, you know what I'm talking about. If you know, you know. Oh yeah, exactly. And again, I thought Roach and Foster were the guys in the first half were doing that. How ironic that then came out in the second half and did the exact opposite. Um, Jared McCain has to go in the bad because of him fouling out and having such foul trouble. And it really limited his minutes. Um, And then the last thing that I wanted to mention, TJ power. I mean, he came, he played seven minutes, came close to a seven trillion. He missed a shot. He had a turnover. He committed a foul. Zero, zero positive plays for, for TJ Power. Uh, look, I know the guy is going to do better down the road, but what does it say about him that his place in the rotation was so far down that he contributed so little in a game where Mark Mitchell was missing? I mean, the presumption was that TJ Power is like Mark Mitchell's backup. Mark Mitchell doesn't play the entire game because of injury. And Scott, I know that's what you wanted to talk about. And TJ Power can barely get off the bench. And when he does, like I said, almost a seven trillion and nothing positive from his box score. Scott. I mean, we learned today what I think we all learned when the season ended last year, which is Mark Mitchell may not be our best player, but he's our most important. He's our most indispensable. The off, I, I noticed that I mentioned the first four or five minutes of the game, it looked like Shire was trying to run an offense that very clearly was intended for Mark Mitchell to four and Kyle Filipowski at the five. Didn't work. Later in the first half, we ran a little bit of that four round one with Jalen Blake's sort of at the four. You could tell right away it didn't work. A lot of what this team's identity is seems to revolve around Mark Mitchell's ability to connect that team by playing the sort of traditional stretch small ball four that all these NBA teams love. And we learned today that there's no one else on this team that can fill that role. Luckily, we're multiple enough and we still have Ryan Young that we can go to a bigger lineup and we can salvage things. But, and I'm I'm one of the biggest Ryan Young supporters in the world. I saw him last summer and I'm like, YMCA big, sign me up. 
this is the type of guy who annoys us when he's on the other team. So I love having him on our side for one. Oh my God. I love but that. That's great. <laughs> he, he has his limitations, right? He has his limitations on defense. When he was in there, they were attacking him on the pick and roll. I give him credit. Right. He, the defense adjusted. His defense got better in the second half. It was much more clear, a hard hedge to try to prevent the switch, but he, the team is different with him out there as opposed to Mark Mitchell and Fingers crossed it is a day-to-day injury that this was just being overcautious since the Arizona game is so much more important. But this team needs Mark Mitchell to be Mark Mitchell in order to achieve the goals that it has, which are the loftiest goals you can achieve. Uh, Dude, that is 100% accurate. All right, that's going to wrap it up for our recap of the win over Dartmouth. We've mentioned Arizona a couple times in this podcast. Believe me, Donald and I will be doing an extensive preview of Duke's game coming up on Friday against Arizona. We're going to be talking to a Arizona expert in just a couple days, and that'll be in your podcast feed Wednesday, maybe Thursday morning, something like that, um, coming later this week. We're going to take a break right now. When we come back from the break, you may not have realized it, but the rest of the ACC also played basketball games last night. We're going to give you a couple little thoughts about the rest of the ACC, how the season is starting for the conference right after this. Hey there, Duke fans. You know, warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with factors, no prep, no mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-created meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factors fresh, never frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great tasting meals. That's right, Jason. And Jason, I can tell you, I just got some meals. They're fantastic. And the great thing is, like you said, two minutes, mindless work, pop it in the microwave, do what you need to do, and it's ready to eat. No more cooking, no more cleaning pots and pans. And also, there's a lot of choices with 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week. So you'll always have new flavors to explore. All right, so head to factormeals.com slash DukeBB50. Use that code DukeBB50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code DukeBB50 at factormeals.com. Get 50% off your first box 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Enjoy Factor Meals from the Duke Basketball Roundup. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey, Drew Scott here. And I'm Jonathan Scott reminding you that life's better with a home policy from American Family Insurance. They can help you get just the right protection at just the right price and help you save when you bundle home and auto. Kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It'll be just right for you. We love a custom build. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote and find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. All right, we're back from the break, and we're going to get into the rest of the ACC. We've talked about Duke extensively. Uh, Every team in the conference, with the exception of Florida State, played last night. And I wanted to try and just give you a little one-liner 
just, you know, one thought, maybe one and a half thoughts on each and every team in the conference begin to get you primed for, for knowing what's coming up with, with these various teams, Miami, which was favored by about 23 points played uh, New Jersey Institute of technology, always a tough game. NJIT, those guys, they, they, they know their technology. They do not necessarily know their basketball. Uh, Miami won that game by 41 points. Matthew Cleveland, who came over from Florida State to Miami, went for 16 and 10. Um, Wuga Poplar had 21 points, five of nine on threes. Those are some names on Miami that maybe weren't huge names for them last year, who I think you can really look forward to having big seasons for them. North Carolina beat Radford 86 to 70. I was surprised Elliot Cadeau didn't start this game. He did lead the team with six assists, but I was really surprised that Elliot Cadeau didn't play a larger role for UNC in this game. Armando Baycott went for 25 and 13. Clemson beat Winthrop 78 to 56, 22 point win for Clemson, a nice start for them. PJ Hall begins his ACC player of the year campaign with a, a 20 point game. Make, make no mistake. PJ Hall is one of the contenders for ACC player of the year. NC state, Beat Citadel 72 to 59. Could have been a bigger win for them. You know, that's not a great score. Uh, Missouri transfer Mohamed Diara, who played only 11 minutes per game as a freshman at Missouri, had 10 points, 14 rebounds, and three block shots for NC State. Looks like he's going to be a factor for them on the front line. Um, we're going to get to Louisville in a minute. Notre Dame played Niagara. Notre Dame is not going to be good this year, gentlemen. Notre Dame won the game 70 to 63. Niagara led at the half. I honestly, I looked at the Notre Dame roster. I can't name a single guy in Notre Dame. I I, I consider myself, you know, I, I pay attention to the ACC. There wasn't a single, it wasn't a name I recognized on that Notre Dame team. They did have a guy, a freshman named Marcus Burton, who had 29 points. Notre Dame scored 70. He had 29 of the 70 points. This guy could be a factor in the ACC freshman of the year race. But I'm telling you that Notre Dame team, there was not a recognizable name on the roster. Pittsburgh beat North Carolina A&T. You ready for the number? 152. Big win for Jeff Capel in Pittsburgh. They had five different guys in double figures. Virginia. Remember the days when Virginia didn't score at all? They got 80 points against Tarleton State. And some freshman named Leon Bond went for 12 points and nine rebounds. Uh, that's a big number. And a freshman playing a lot for Virginia is just something you don't hear about all that often. Are you getting bored of this stuff yet? Syracuse beat New Hampshire 83 to 72. Judah Mintz had 20 points. Georgia Tech was trailing Georgia Southern in the middle of the second half, but then pulled away late. Um, Miles Kelly, who had a pretty good season for Georgia Tech last year, maybe one of the better sharpshooters in the ACC, four of nine three pointers for him on his way to 25 points. Virginia Tech beat Coppin State 100 to 55, 45 point win for Virginia Tech. Hunter Couture, who is in his, I believe, ninth season, either his ninth or his tenth season <laughs> at Virginia Tech, something like that. 27th. 27th season. That, that's that's correct, I believe. He had three of five threes. Sean Padula, 15 points and 10 assists. And the really interesting one from Virginia Tech. Tyler Nickel. Remember, that kid was on UNC last year. Barely played for the Tar Heels. Transferred to Virginia Tech. Went for 12 and seven. He was like their top guy off the bench. Um, he had a total of 15 points for UNC in the months of January, February, and March combined. Scores 12 points, first game at Virginia Tech. He could be a factor for them. Uh, I, I could go on. There, uh, I should mention Boston College. Quinton Post, first team preseason All-ACC, 31-11 and 11 with four block shots. Wow, Quinton Post got a start to his season. And then I wanted to mention Wake Forest. They beat Elon 101-78. to Wake putting up 101 points. Um, at one point in that game, Elon led by 20 points in the first half. Again, Wake won by almost 25. Elon was leading by 20 in the first half. And here's the crazy thing for Wake. They only got eight points off their bench. Cameron Hildreth went for 33. Uh, some guy from Central Michigan, a transfer named Kevin Miller, went for 17. And Gonzaga transfer Hunter Salas went for 19 points. Andrew Carr had 24 Wake Forest looks like they got like five guys who can play and the rest of the team just can't do anything. But those five guys, they can score 101 points and only eight off your bench. Shocking. All right. I just talked for a long time. Way more than I probably should have. I apologize. Donald, talk to me a little about Louisville. What the hell happened to Louisville last night? UMBC played well. That's what happened. And Louisville didn't. And Louisville caught up at the very end. I mean, Louisville was was trailing in this game till about maybe two minutes left. 
and they were, had they were down on. eight. They were down eight with seven minutes to go in that game. Oh, they were they were down with like four minutes to go in this game. Then they went on a run, went up five. UMBC caught up, tied it. And then it was a very wild sequence in the last like 15 seconds of the game. And I know Scott will talk a little bit more uh, about that, but Louisville, Louisville is going to have some, some major issues if they're going to have to, you know, rely on, you know, some end of game theatrics to, to beat, you know, teams like UMBC, no offense to UMBC, but here's, you know, the games that I saw, I mean, I saw, as, as I mentioned, I, I watched a lot of basketball yesterday. UNC, I know the score was 86-70, but they struggled most of the game. They started to inch away from Radford late, but they did not look great at all. I will say, again, Louisville didn't look great. But I'll say, Jason, you mentioned a couple of guys on Miami that played well. Those guys killed us last year. And you know I'm the Miami guy. That's that, that's my my law school alma mater. So, of course, I, I watched them a lot more than, than the average man. But I, I think when it comes to Miami, a lot of guys look good. Wuga Poplar, Matthew Cleveland, Norshawn Armier all scored double figures. They are going to, and Nigel Pack didn't even get to double figures. And Nigel Pack is one of the better players on this team. Yeah, I was surprised so, that they did as well as they did with him, only struggling a little bit, only eight points. Yeah. They have a lot of guys who can score and a lot of guys who can, who can, you know, again, take you out very quickly. And they look comfortable doing it. I think the one thing we look at the totality of the conference is that there was a lot of teams that played very well. And even, you know, the some that the score looked, you know, better than it was in the case of Wake Forest. But hey, six teams scored over 90 points in their debut, four over 100. Like when it comes to the ACC, those are, again, those are scores. You want to keep racking those scores up. It does not matter that Wake was down 21 to Elon because when you look at the final score, you're going to see 101 to 78. And the committee is going to see that stuff too. These games, it's not like college football where every game matters. It's not that sort of thing. But when you put up big numbers, people recognize those. And they don't care how you got to those big numbers. They just care that you got them. And so for a lot of the conference, I'd say it was a very successful opening night. No losses. Thank thank you, Louisville. But no losses uh, for the conference in, in night one. And, I mean, really the only upset that you really saw was a team we're going to see next week. And, you know, there's a lot of teams that won. But only one loss. So when I when it comes to the ACC, those are the things you need to do. Take care of business in convincing fashion against the teams you're supposed to be taking business, care of business against. And that's what happened last night. I mean, we talk about 14-0, right? You know, two Big Ten teams lost. Michigan State was sort of the big surprise of the night. But Rutgers also lost. Rutgers, a team that's supposedly on the ascent, suppose, has, you know, number two ranked recruiting class next year. Them starting the season with a loss in Big Ten country is going to be a little bit of a concern for the overall health of the league. Uh, really quickly on Miami, people forget that Matthew Cleveland was a five-star guy. When Matthew oh, he was supposed to be a one-and-done kind of player, yeah. He was supposed to mm -hmm. be the next Scotty Barnes. That was He came in right after Scotty, and that was the expectation. The fact that he's in Miami now, and if he can recapture some of that, that team becomes very, very dangerous, especially that length right next to Norchad O'Meara. Finally, on Louisville. I will have a special place in my heart for UMBC. A lot of fans have a special place in their heart for UMBC. My wife actually has a degree from the University of Maryland, Baltimore County. She has her PhD from that school. We, After UMBC beat Virginia, we were going to the first round games in, uh, in Detroit that year. She came in with a UMBC shirt, and everyone in the stadium thought she was a Fairweather fan. And we had to, you know, tell everyone, no, 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 she has that shirt. She's legit. She's one of the very few people who you know who actually went to that school. So I will always have a special place in my heart for them. They were a free throw away from overtime. This was not a, oh, this was a one-point game where they made a buzzer shot. UMBC was on the line with two free throws with about two seconds to go, made the first, missed the second, got the offensive rebound, and then just couldn't get a shot away. So... Yes, Louisville won. Yes, we get to say the ACC went 14-0, but ugh, you just don't like what's going on in there for the ACC strength. I will say very quickly, first of all, shout out to James Madison University, the Dukes. Hey, if a team's going to beat Michigan State, it, it should have <laughs> they should have Duke in their name. That hopefully is a good sign for next week. But also, Jason, you mentioned how Notre Dame really struggled against Niagara um, and winning by seven. Yo, shout out to Brotherhood. Greg, Greg Paulus. Paulus. 
the head coach of Niagara. Of course, of course, a team led by Greg Pauls is going to be scrappy and, 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 and gritty uh, against the Fighting Irish. So shout out to those guys. Yeah, by the way, Scott, you didn't even mention the basket that Louisville went ahead on. You, you know, Louisville you had that two-point lead. Uh, folks, if you have not seen this final play, the, the game-winning points for Louisville, it's the craziest play. There's a guy who drives the baseline. He, like, throws up a shot that hits the bottom of the rim. It's, like, bouncing around a little bit. It looks like a UMBC guy has got it, and suddenly someone from Louisville, like, rips it out of his hands. He's falling down. He tosses the ball in the air, and a Louisville dude dunks it. It's such an insane play that the announcer says, I don't know what happened there. I I, I I summed all that up as end-of-game theatrics because that's what that was. That's that was what, a show. That was, that was crazy. <laughs> And to be fair, UMBC used up all its good basketball juju for probably the next 100 years. So, you know, <laughs> you, you love to see them in this game, but UMBC fans, have they, they've got their they've got their upset. They've got their name for a while. You know, they're not going to get that bounce anymore. <laughs> Look, the thing about this game I wanted to mention was, gentlemen, Louisville is now over 500 for the first time since January of 2022. <laughs> it has been... Hey. It has been almost two years since Louisville was last over 500. 1-0 is a huge accomplishment for this Louisville program. It is unbelievable how far that program has fallen. Man, they, they are just, they're in bad shape. I, I I hope they can hang on and stay above 500 for a couple more games maybe. But boy, they are, they're in real trouble. And they Louisville fans were excited about this year. Louisville fans thought they had a, a solid recruiting class coming in. They thought this was, you know, just first year jitters for Kenny Payne and obviously our our pal Nolan Smith. And you know, you you, you never root for an ACC team, but you you want a guy like Nolan, who we all know and love, to be in a better situation than it, it appears that he is. Hopefully, Louisville can build off of this and pr- improve everyone wrong. Because as you guys have mentioned on the pod, when they're when they're down in the dumps, it drags everyone's net rating down. And as silly as the net ratings are, as arbitrary as the net ratings are, they're important. They help determine whether we're going to be a one or a two seed. And that's something that could affect Duke come selection Sunday. Well, with that, we're going to wrap it up here on the latest episode of the Duke Basketball Roundup. Donald Wine, thanks for being me. Scott Ritt, thanks for being with me. Being me. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for being mean is what he said <laughs> hey i i could bring out the big guns if we if we want to go that way <laughs> no no we do not want to go that way scott rich thank you so much for joining us we will have you back some other time we're bringing on we're gonna bring on a whole bunch of different uh you know musical chair guests so to speak over the next uh next few months as we begin to, to cover this duke basketball season but it was great to have you with us today Again, we urge all you folks out there, send us those emails at dbrpodcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to like and subscribe. Hey, go to Home Field Apparel. They just dropped, literally today, they dropped a brand new Duke bomber jacket. It is fly. Am I allowed to say that? Does that work? I said it. It's fly. That's what it (laughs) looks. It is fly. Um, And you can use DBR Podcast as your code to save 15% off said bomber jacket and everything else that they have on site. So yeah, check it out. It's, 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 as Jason said, it's fly. Yeah. I feel just very weird saying that. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> 56 year old guy does not fly. Does not come out of my mouth. Very In any event for Scott, for Donald, I'm Jason. And this is the Duke band to play us out and take us home. Michigander in the building. Exactly. I love it. I'm surrounded by them. Oh my God. I know. <laughs> it's not oh my oh. God. And consider yourself consider yourself lucky. You're 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 in God's green earth right now. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> well, well hopefully we'll, we'll save the uh the deconstruction of sign gate for, for episode two. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> it's dude, if, if you Jason, have you been following like the back and forth at all? Because I mean, it, a little bit. It looks it looks bad. It looks kind of oh, bad for Harbaugh. <laughs> oh, well, so oh, it looks bad. Yeah, yeah, it looks. It's, yeah, it's bad. Like Michigan definitely cheated, but Michigan's got a dot. The in, the insiders say that Michigan has dot dossier on Ohio State and every other program of like all the other crap that they've done 
that they've reported to the Big Ten and the Big Ten hasn't done anything. And they're basically well, it's, if the it's Big more Ten, than that. It's even more than that. Like they are literally how much more Nino than Brown. that can it be? Wait, wait, how much more than well, that? Well, no, they they are literally Nino Brown. If you see New Jack City where Nino Brown was oh, Nino Brown's the head of the head of the, of the crime syndicate, and he's like, nah. I got all these people. I got a list of people. And he's like, if you're going to take me down, then this list is getting aired. And everyone knows it, which is why they're always like, oh, Big Ten, you need to punish them. But they're not doing it very loudly because well, they but, know that Michigan. I mean, got here's the thing that the, the, the horse is out of the barn. I mean, the Big Ten, this has become too big a story. The Big Ten sort of has to do something. So oh, if yeah. Michigan's going to retaliate, just, then I don't know. Just, just like Kansas, just like UNC. <laughs> But yeah, what's, what's basically they don't have to do anything is if, if they try to throw Harbaugh under the bus, which they want to, Michigan's just going to say, okay, then here, th- then suspend every other coach. They have evidence that every other program was conspiring with each other to decode Michigan sign, and they had a shared spreadsheet. Co- like, co- why do you collaborated. think? Yeah. Why do you think? Why do you? I think... see conspiracies all around me. <laughs> I, no, no, no. I, I don't know if half of it's true, but the Michigan message boards, which I don't post on because you know they're insane, are just hilarious. Like following the day to day. Forget all that. Just put your common sense hat on. How did they report this, and why did they report it? Because they knew what to look for. Because they're doing it. 